All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the that is not from the movie Terminator Genesis, which is just as well because the only decent soundtrack from that was completely lifted from the first Terminator soundtrack. Incidentally, one of my fa- the Terminator score, the original, is one of my all time favorites. Uh, just a genius piece of you know mute movie scoring. Mark, I just noticed this. You misspelled Schwarzenegger in our tags. Did I? I threw an yes, there's there, no T. Oh, well. Fuck them. Well, just no one can find it if they're Googling Arnold Schwarzenegger now. Nobody's Googling Arnold Schwarzenegger, not even his wife. Well, of course his wife's not. She's already got all of his money. Anyway. <laughs> Well, I could, or I could screw around for another couple of minutes here, and uh, nobody listened to this for our actual reviews. Uh, all right. Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Winfrey. This is the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network summer, blockbuster. It's not summer, just blockbuster movie review club. It's me and Mark Radlich 90% of the time. Uh, someone else is going to be on with him later this year for a movie that I just have no interest in seeing. I might get someone else on when there's a horror movie coming out that I'm interested in. But mostly it's me and Mark. You already heard Mark. I'm going to bring him on. Mark, uh, how the heck are you? You've, uh, you liked this movie. And I'm, uh, we're going to wind up yelling at each other just a little bit before we metaphorically shake hands and agree to move on. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I look for two things in a movie. Uh, was it crafted well? You know, are there, are, was it shot well or was it shot poorly? Was it acted well or was it acted poorly? Uh, directed, edited, whatever. You know, I, I'm looking at how this, how a movie was put together, and if it makes sense, you know, and it lives up to how a movie should be put together. I'm actually, I'm, I'm fine with that. And then was I entertained? If, if I was bored, or I found myself not enjoying the movie, well, that's a problem. Um, sometimes you have the issue of a movie that's put together well. There's no. There's nothing definitively wrong with it per se, but I'm just not entertained. But I, but I can then say I can then say, look, it, it's a it's a good movie. It's just not for me. Um, in the case of Terminator Genesis, I was entertained, and there are some narrative issues in terms of the time travel. And I thought one as a one of one of my old foster children used to say to me, uh, an issue in the movie that is both cheap and gay. Uh, which we'll talk about. Other, other than other than that, uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Not the best movie of the summer. I would put it ahead of Tomorrowland. Um, but but definitely, I don't think we've uh, seen I, anything I, worse than Tomorrowland thus far. Not yet. <laughs> um, but you but know, Adam Sandler cool. rears his ugly head. Um, but I would agree with James Cameron. This was the spiritual successor to Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and rightly so. Of course James Cameron would like it. They, the guy, this movie lifts all of the memorable parts from his two movies and mashes them together. Of course he likes it. He made two good movies. But, you know, but, but let's talk about that. So th- this movie uh, goes, is kind of like Days of Future Past, where it retcons um, movies that have happened before it for better or for worse. And I think there, there's, there's a couple of ways you can do that. If you, if you can do a movie that retcons an earlier movie and be an homage to said movie, and as long as you're respectful and handle the material well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, you know, no, so there isn't. Start, 
and, and a lot of people are criticizing this movie for exactly the same reasons that you're on about, which is they, li- they, they lifted wholesale scenes from Judgment Day, but they had to. Uh, not, even, not Judgment Day, um, the original Terminator movie. Oh, no, no. I, I was fine with the original. Uh, again, you have to. Your setup here is we're seeing Kyle Reese right before he goes back. So by definition, we must play off of things that happened in the original Terminator movie. That, I mean, right. not doing that is dumber than doing it. I have no problem okay. with that. There's a risk there in how, in, in how they handle it, and I thought it was handled well. I didn't think they missed – and I had just watched it. I, I ha, they didn't miss a beat. They, they got every detail as close as they possibly could, you know, some 30 years later or whenever – you know, however old this movie is. I was really hoping old man Bill Paxton would reprise his role as the punk who gets punched through the stomach by <laughs> Arnold. But. Well, well, much like Arnold and his synthetic skin, he too has aged. Um, it just would have been so, funny. That's all. It would have been funny, but I, I don't have those. Aren't my problems with the movie? And so, just just to be clear, I'm okay with the scenes that are wholesale lifted from earlier movies because I thought they were handled well. That's an example of good craft. There was care and time and energy put into those scenes, and those scenes made sense in the narrative they were telling. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm with you on this one. Uh, again, consider where we are with the narrative. The whole premise of this is we start with we see Kyle Reese and John Connor. It was supposed to be the end of the machine war. They send Kyle back, which is the events that begin the first Terminator movie. Now, things have been changed at this point in time, and we get into that very quickly, but some of those first scenes have to be done the same way because they a few for, you know for a few minutes, they exist independently of the altered timeline. So Arnie's going to show up. He's going to walk around naked. He's going to encounter the punks on the bridge and demand their clothes. That's all supposed to happen. Kyle Reese, you know, drops into an alley, steals a bum's pants, evades the police in a department store. That That's all also supposed to happen. This is, You can't screw with that because that's how it's supposed to go. And if you're going to, that's not a valid criticism. Now, Personally, them completely lifting wholesale the ending of Terminator Judgment Day of Terminator 2 for their final sequence. Okay, I think that's a tad unimaginative, but I'll get to that later. Uh, Again, the opening stuff. No, that's how it's supposed to be done. That's how it has to be done. I mean, it's again, what would you have preferred they do? Ignore the first movie in the franchise completely people who are criticizing this because Mark isn't it's. No, that's how they had to open it. There's, a, That's not a valid criticism. That was all handled fine. Here, here's what I want to talk about. The, my, here's the, my first issue with this movie. They threw something out there. It was a major plot, uh, a plot issue. It was a major, major um, thing that gets the story going. And that is it's an, that she comes back to an altered timeline. Now, forgetting for a moment that it was already altered when Skynet in the form of whatever person that was supposed to be, um, grabs John and covers his mouth and says, did you think it was going to be that easy? Which is obviously different from what happened in the, you know, what is said to have happened in the original Terminator. Forgetting about the Nexus time spot or whatever gobbledygook, you know, Arnold is telling him about when he starts to have memories of of opening up his Genesis tablet. I don't care about any of that. Because, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I can suspend my disbelief enough where that stuff is acceptable to me, especially to keep this, the, the narrative going. 
where I drew a line and said, no, cheap and gay, this is your, your, you are, you are making a mistake in terms of movie craft is where they're telling the story of how Pop got sent back to uh, save Sarah as a nine-year-old from the Terminator who kills her parents. And when Kyle asks, well, who sent Pops back? Pop says, I have no memory of who sent me back. Those files were deleted. And then it's summarily dropped. Boo! <laughs> Mark, that's... That. <laughs> that moment is go- is one of my other big issues with this movie. Because for some reason, every look, I understand elements of my complaint that's about to come up, okay? From a uh, I understand aspects of this, but it would be so refreshing if we could get a movie that didn't fill you with sequel bait. <laughs> I right. mean, it's... I mean, and that was my first thought. That that took me out of the movie, honestly. When they said that, it was like, wait a minute. You, there's no, there's no payoff. There's no rationale. There's no reason for anyone to have said or or, or there's no uh, there's no time, sort of speak, for anyone to have sent pops back to save Sarah Connor so that she can be 19 years old and battle hardened in this movie. I mean, they needed to in order to tell a different story, and I will say that this is a much more interesting version of Sarah than we've come come to in the past. I'm oh, finally... you are so bad. Well, I, I can't agree with that. Oh, okay. I, I see. I misspoke. She's not more interesting, but I, it, it it returned us to a Sarah that is interesting. She was interesting in the first two movies as well. So she continued. Okay, the best way for me to say this is. They, she continued to be interesting, although very different in this movie. You know, I, 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 we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, I'll come back to this point. But, because again, it would be wrong to say she, this was the most interesting she's been. That's not true. Um, you're, you're right about that. But I will say this. I'm doing a lot of hemming and hawing now. <laughs> no, right. I, I, here's my stance on abortion. Um, just kidding. Yeah, politicians get it. Anyway, uh, I got it. You're not a crook. <laughs> That's right. I'm Richard Nixon in that ass. Now listen. Oh, um, Nixon always. Ah, Nixon's head in a jar. So many jokes. Um, they needed. They, they were telling a different story, and I'm fine with that. And, and in order to get that different story, they had to, you know, they had to give you that bit of uh, exposition. I'm fine with that. But you have to then pay that off in some way. The fact that they didn't is exactly what you're saying. It's sequeled it. So the minute she said, so the minute they're like, I don't know who sent him back. And it's like, yeah, those files were deleted. It's a mystery. And you never find that. I'm just like, I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and went, oh, come on. That's, that's you know, that, that, that cheapens your movie. Now, that's the last time I will have that reaction in this movie. And I'm fine with everything that happens beyond that point. My only other issues with this movie where anytime they, t- anytime they discuss time travel, it just started to become a lot of mumbo jumbo, and I and I found myself just going, just get get on with the movie already. I don't care. They anymore. threw words at the screen and hoped that no one in the audience was paying enough attention to realize they're full of crap. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's dialogue is, you know, expository time travel, and I was just like, just shut up and shoot things. 
Okay. That's a poor writing decision to try. Look, there are only two ways to do time travel and have it not fall apart around your ears. One of these ways is the back to the future methodology, wherein you have flux capacitor, may as well be the MacGuffin. You have this doohickey that does stuff. And then you just have to make sure that kind of within your own world, you keep, you know, okay, you know, you affect things in the future, but you need to keep this doohickey safe and everything else will kind of be fine. Then there's the hyper-realistic, give you migraines for days trying to figure it out methodology that you get with something like Primer. I still, again, I've seen that movie a couple of times. It still makes me go, wait, what? But it is about as realistic a depiction of time travel as you're ever going to get. Unfortunately, with this movie, they seem to kind of want to do both. Well, we've got all they needed to do was, okay. we've got a tactical time machine. We don't need all the exposition that goes along with it. Just keep things within the confines of your own logic. Don't have Arnie, of all people, give us line after line after line after line that was, you know, assembled by someone who looked up a physics textbook and said these words look like they go together. So a part of it was they give Jai Courtney, who is Kyle Reese in this movie. We'll talk about him in a minute. They give Jai Courtney, you know, this whole subplot of I'm having memories of a past I haven't lived, which, okay, I'm interested in that. That's, that's fine. That's, that's fun. You know, he's, he's starting to abandon it within five minutes of bringing it up. It's a minor point of contention before they time travel to 2017. And then it's never brought up again. No, 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 that's not right. They didn't abandon it. It was a major, it was, it was, it was a major push for them to go to 2017 instead of whatever year they, she was going to go. They were going to 97. Right. Which is when Terminator 2 takes place. Um, if I remember correctly. No, that's correct. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. doesn't matter. Um, they're, they're going to where she thinks Skynet is going to, uh, be created and, and stopping. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's much later now. It's 2017. And I know that because I remember it. And he's like, well, how can you remember it? I mean, there was a way to write that where you could have created a lot of tension between the characters, but still get there without going through the gobbledygook method. <laughs> I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear a scientific explanation for why this is happening. I want him to relationship build with Sarah and have her, take a leap of faith. That to me would have been much more interesting than, no, 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 believe him because scientifically this is possible through blah, blah, yakety schmackety. Like, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I'm with you there. You brought up Jai Courtney and I don't know if this is him or the writing, but maybe it's because I watched the original Terminator not too long ago and I was reminded that, you know, I'm, I just—I'm such a big fan of what Michael. I'm probably—I never quite heard how to pronounce this guy's last name correctly. I'm gonna go with but, Dean. All right, we'll go with that then. But I've never again—he does such a great job with the character that—and Jai Courtney. I can't say the man's a bad actor because I've not seen everything he's done. I've never seen him do anything where he was more than flat, and he was flat here again. So my statement stands. Okay. I want to say two things. One of which is going to be very unpopular, and the other sounds like I'm just making excuses. 
but I'm okay with that. The first thing, and and I'm going to have to repeat this tomorrow night at 9 o'clock on Long Road to Ruin with myself and guest star Jesse Starcher, who begged, begged, I tell you, to be on this podcast. Um, Mark Rattledge takes sacred cows and shoots them in the head. If I have to go against common wisdom, uh, conventional wisdom, because I believe it to be true, then I will. And I don't care if it makes me the least popular person in the room. Then I will fight to the death if I believe that my objective opinion, and I know that's sort of an oxymoron, but my objective opinion is the right opinion. It even comes close to being fact. And so I will say this, and I will say it with gusto, and I will back up every word of it. After having watched the original Terminator, Michael Bean overacts every fucking scene he's in. Almost to the point where it starts to get hilarious towards the end. I mean, I've never, here's a guy who, I don't know what James Cameron was telling him in, from the director's chair, but it certainly, it certainly wasn't tone it down. Okay? No, it's far it, from an understated performance. I'm not going to disagree with you as far as that goes. His, that no point, I mean, I, I, I'll talk about this at length tomorrow, um, but because it doesn't really have any place here. But, I mean, you, you know, you're talking about a battle-hardened, tra- traumatized soldier who, you know, who's living through a post-apocalyptic war, and you're saying, go back in time and save my mom from certain death. And this asshole, after the entire movie, like, people would know what the fuck he was talking about and wouldn't think he was a complete lunatic. You know, the scene where he's in the, where he's in the police station explaining this to the, psych, to the forensic psychologist, I'm with the forensic psychologist. You sound like an asshole. There's, you know, he, at no point does he have any common sense and just, you know, like, like even when he first meets Sarah, instead of saying the obvious, which is, I'm here to save you from the nut who's trying to kill you. That's all you need to know right now. And she'd have been with him. He starts, I, my, my name is Kyle Reese. I'm soldier number, you know, 24601. You know, whatever the fuck it is he says. I know the play Miserable. Um, it's funny, see, because I, I keep doing that. In any case, but he, he immediately goes into this entire route. You sound like a maniac. <laughs> you know? Get, I mean, in Terminator 2, where they're trying to explain it to Miles Dyson, and they just simply say, hey, Arnold, take your arm off. Show him. Okay, that was perfect. That's how you handle that situation. Because no explanation will... will, will uh, will convince people that what this crazy thing you're talking about is for real. So he spends the entire movie that way, as if he has no idea how humans work. And maybe he has no idea how that reality works. I mean, again, oh. everything, he knows fact. So let me ask you this. If you got dropped back into, you know, 1927 Germany and you start railing against Hitler, what are people going to do to you? I, uh, I mean, how do you, what do you do? No, 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 no. That, but that's my point. Listen, if you... Uh, let's let's do an even better one. Drop me into 1960, uh, whatever year Kennedy got assassinated, the day of his assassination. I can't tell people that he's going to get assassinated. I'm going to sound like a maniac, too. There's a way you have to handle that that involves a little bit of common sense. Okay, but now take that, that, you know, urgency and mesh it with your your entire existence has been terrorized by robots. You should Everything. still have some, some degree of knowledge on how to talk to a person, especially 30 years hence, your time. But I want to contrast that now with Jai Courtney. I've met many soldiers. I've met many law enforcement people. And while I can't say that they all 
are this stereotype. Many of them do fit the stereotype of humorless, um, kind, kind of stick-up-the-butt <laughs> folks who uh, are a bit stiff, you know, and just... I, see, I, I know everyone wants to say Jai Courtney can't act, but I feel like his sort of, you know, stiff, soldier-like performance was very true to what that character would really be like. I'm not saying Jai Courtney can't act. Let me be perfectly clear about that. I think he can only act flat. And I don't know if that's people typecasting him that way. I don't know if he is sought out for those roles specifically. I don't know if it's an actual limitation of the man's skill set. I have never seen him be anything but flat. I'm looking at his IMDb because I'm curious to see what else he's been in. The other um, two things that I've seen him in off the top of my head, God help me, I saw I Frankenstein and he's flat there, which is by and large deliberate that character, everyone in that movie is flat. It's an awful movie. But beyond that, uh, he's in you know, that stupid quasi-hunger divergent series. That's it. I've seen that like while donating plasma. It doesn't interest me at all, but he's in that too, and he's again flat. Mm-hmm. The name, the I think it's, it's Jeff really Harris keeps telling me that he doesn't suck in Spartacus, uh, which I haven't seen enough of to really kind of comment. I couldn't get into it. It just he's in a good day to die hard, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh yeah, so this, he's uh, Bruce Willis's son, who's also flat. Okay, he's also supposed to be an undercover cop in that movie. So again. Um, I can accept I the fact don't that care. He's flat until he until oh. such time as he shows me otherwise, and I have evidence. He's flat. All cops are flat. All young cops. That are is flat. absolutely not true. I will give you most, <laughs> not all. Because hey, John <laughs> McClane's a cop. Was he flat? Oh, but he's first of all he's uh, older. Don't butt me. He's a, you just contradicted your own point. He's a cop. He's not flat. I said young. I said I said all young. Uh, I said, and I'll say most. Most young cops and soldiers are flat, humorless. They've been through terrible, terrible things. They have a terrible, terrible burden that they must uh, a, gl- a glorious, but terrible burden that they must uh, carry in, in protecting us from the evils of the world, and uh, and that makes them flat. Uh, all right. I will agree that again. As, a, as far as stock characters go, that's fine. That's how they're kind of supposed to be. My issue here is Kyle Reese is kind of supposed to be one half of the emotional core of the movie. And if he's flat and there's no emotional investment, then you've failed in but terms see, of I, making I, I, your I movie. I agree with that. I feel like, this, I, I feel like he, he's a plot device. This is the Sarah Connor story. This is all about I, Sarah Connor. Okay, I don't completely disagree with that. I just mean that, again, you have to care about this character. Because if you don't care about him, then you don't understand why Sarah cares about him, and that whole thing comes off as contrived. Okay, fair enough. And and I actually think that that's an accurate statement. But at the end when she, you know, she's fighting this whole movie about, you know, because it's like, you're supposed to mate with him in order to make John so that they can win the war, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, why? And she's like, why? Why do I have to choose him? Why, you know... Why can't I make my own choices? And that's, and that's her struggle. And that's one of the things I really liked about this movie. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's this big will they, won't they kind of affair. And then at the end... I wouldn't say big, but yeah. it is a subplot. You know, you know, but that's my point. It's like she's been through this experience with Kyle 
you know, and I don't know at what point in this in this experience she decided that they should be together. Like, what what did he do that made you fall in love with him? I don't understand. You know, in the original, they had some intimate moments together, and she was a different person uh, leading up to it. It makes all of sense that. in the first one. Yeah, it absolutely does make sense in the first one. Um, it doesn't make sense in this movie. This is one of the things I had a real problem with. Um, the fact that she chose to be with him after, you know, after sort of agonizing over, over the decision in the first place. I thought her stronger story would have been to say, uh, I don't choose you. I choose nothing right now. I choose to live my life. But it was like, you know, we got to slap a Hollywood ending on there. She has to, she has to be with Kyle. You know, as far as sequel bait goes, I think it would have been a much more interesting sequel bait kind of a thing if they just left it, you know, ambiguous. You know, have have them give each other coy looks and then roll credits. I don't disagree with that. That was, and yeah, you know, that was that would have been a much better kind of way to end it instead of. Uh, the, the other thing, and that kind of plays into the ending, which I was oh again, I'll be up here. There, I have no problem with what they lifted from the opening bit because you have to copy that from the original Terminator. It's your setup. Fine. The fact that they then decided they have to sneak in a little dig at the end of their movie referencing the end of Judgment Day, that bothered me. Because your movie is not nearly good enough to have earned anything like that. Okay, what dig are you talking about? I don't don't know. At the very end, Kyle Reese doing his final voiceover talks about how now we have, you know, a hundred different roads diverging. And I just went, okay, fine, you miserable hacks. (laughs) Okay. I don't. The the ending of Terminator Judgment of Judgment Day is uh, that very that famous sequence of you know a headlight level of uh, lane dividers kind of flashing by with Sarah Connor's voiceover going the uh, the future you know the future rolls out before me like an unknown highway for the first time I don't know what's coming. Right, you just saw this movie. Why should I have to? The point there is. That's a very good ending to a very good movie that ties in the overarching narrative. This they slapped on there because they could. And that bothers me. Okay. It was a minor detail. It, it, it uh, I, but I wish. I thought, I thought where I thought you were going with this. I thought you were. That, that, that whole second and third act where, you know, where the mission is to eliminate Skynet before it ever, you know, before it can go online and how that's well, that too. Act. Look. That's the exact plot of Judgment Day. I have I to have a, discla- a big disclaimer here for everyone who's not heard any of these things before. I am, I believe I'm undiagnosed Asperger's Syndrome, personally. I've never been officially diagnosed, and if I'm not, I'm borderline. You want me to get my I wife see, in here? That's uh, not necessary. But I see, here, here's the point to this. I see details in movies. And they're like bright, flashing neon signs when they don't match up. Uh, okay. If I'm watching a television show, for a real brief example, then I'll get to my point. Anytime I'm watching a sequence where, for example, a guy, someone's holding a gun on someone, and you have two over-the-shoulder perspectives. Now, I know you filmed this twice, and you've edited them t- together. So I, I, I'm aware of how this works from a technical standpoint. But if you ha- if the guy holding the gun is holding it differently from from one you know cut to the other. I notice it and it bothers me, and I can't not notice it. So 
and that is to bring up this. The entire ending of this is, again, we're going to blow up Skynet before it starts, which is the exact ending sequence of Judgment Day. They rip off, I feel, wholesale the entire finishing sequence. You've got, you know, one-armed Arnold the Terminator clawing his way towards uh, the weapon. In this case, it's magnetic brass knuckles instead of a grenade launcher. You have evil Uber Terminator, this time Jason Clark instead of Robert Patrick, who steps on his back. That is then, in, in this case, it's interrupted instead of him actually like impaling Arnie to the floor, and then he has to reroute power and everything. You have Sarah Connor again moving him into position for the killing blow with a shotgun after she suffered a needle from a finger to the arm, into the shoulder rather. It, again, wholesale, take the copy paste. Absolute wholesale. And it drove me up the wall. Now, no one else is going to be bothered by this. I'm fairly sure. <laughs> but it absolutely galled me. And then it, you even have the nerve to, again, Arnold, Arnold Terminator makes the heroic sacrifice at the end, just like Judgment Day. But here, because we must have contrived happy Hollywood ending instead of emotionally meaningful ending... He gets to survive because he was knocked into the pool of liquid metal. By the way, I absolutely hated that. That's right up there with not paying off who sent him back in the first place. Absolutely. That, that, that was the, that was the, we're going to bring Kirk back, you know, Kirk's sacrifice that he steals from Spock. <laughs> and we're going to bring him back to life with magic blood. Oh God. And again, I freely acknowledge that most people listening to this who have seen the movie, are, they're not going to see that. I did see it, and it drove me up the wall. I don't remember that level of detail, to be honest with you. Um, I know. It's, again, it's how my brain works. And I freely acknowledge – I have long since learned that the way I see things and the connections that I draw are not the way other people see things in the way and the connections that they draw. And I've just accepted that at this but, point in my life. From, from a film craft perspective uh, from, and from a narrative perspective, the problem with the Terminator thing is that there isn't a whole lot of places they can go with it. You either destroy Skynet or you don't. And that's why I thought the Jason Clark character as the John Connor who says if he can't beat him, join him, was, was interesting because at least it was, a, it was a different level that they were going to, a different place than they had been previously in, 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 you know, in the other films. So, uh, but here's a question I want to ask you. If you're tasked with writing this movie and, you know, all, all of your, the only thing that you're given is retcon three and four um, and, have a, you know, and have a reason for Sarah Connor to be a battle-hardened warrior at age 19, those are the only plot points you're given said, okay, go ahead and do this. What do you want them to do? Like, I don't understand what, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like come at you, but I don't understand what it is that they could have done differently in the second and third act. There, there, there could have been no other mission. It had to be. I'm not, I don't have a problem with the mission. Okay. Well, let me be perfectly clear about that. The, again, the Terminator's, these movies, again, first one is save Sarah Connor from slasher villains. Second one is prevent nuclear holocaust. Third one hey. is survive nuclear well, holocaust. Four is, well, we don't talk about it. We don't need to talk about that. 
Well, it, we kind of do, because, but again, third one is kind of where things go off the rails a little bit, and four is just awful. One of the worst movies ever captured on film. Yeah, it's it's just sadly. It, that movie is so bad it should be studied. It really is in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's, it, it is almost as bad as A Good Day to Die Hard. Oh, almost. Almost. I mean, at least Salvation was shot well. <laughs> As opposed to my big gripe, honestly, my big gripe with Salvation. First of all, whoever leaked the script ought to be beaten because that was a much more interesting ending. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, you know, you to, also. To, I have to give credit to Nick Mundy because this is his line. And if you would, uh, if you would like to follow Nick Mundy, it's at Dick Fundy on Twitter. Uh, he's one of the guys that's frequently on Screen Junkies. He's also apparently good friends with The Rock. The Rock, like. Um, did his uh, wedding, which I thought was pretty hilarious. In any case, this is his line, but uh, a good day to die hard would look like it was shot on a GoPro. That's relatively accurate. Shot on a GoPro in front of a blue screen that they then put gobs of awful CGI on. It's Yeah. Um, in any case. Anyway. But, <laughs> but, I, I, but I want to go back to my, my, my thing, because like you're just saying, Oh, you know, my, one of my problems with this movie is that it rips off Judgment Day wholesale, um, which it didn't have to. And I, again, I ask, what did you want these characters to do? They really okay. only have one in life. And no, that no, is no. The uh, uh, okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't ex- properly express myself. Allow me to rephrase. I hated the execution of the idea because they, again, okay. you take the idea of blowing up Skynet. Fine. That makes sense. You're supposed to do that. Uh, okay, I didn't have a problem with them trying to stop. I didn't have even. I didn't even have a problem with them blowing up Cyberdyne systems for a second time in this franchise. Okay, I'm again a little uh, again maybe a tad derivative, but that's what you have to do with this. That's the only story that you can kind of logically tell here, and I'm okay with that. This is more again. It's the again the execution and the details that they lifted wholesale that I kind of went really. You couldn't come up with a new interesting visual way to do this, at least. We have to knock off the, you know, move-for-move, hold-for-hold thing. That was what really bothered me about it. Okay, so let's talk talk about this ending sequence. The whole time they're being antagonized by a quickly evolving Skynet, I thought that added to the tension. I thought it was an interesting way to, um, to not humanize, but personalized Skynet. Well, yeah, Skynet's never been anything apart from, well, debatably Helen Bonham Carter and Salvation, and we're all better off not remembering that. Yeah, at this point in this conversation, I'm now disavowing Salvation ever happened. Um, I'm going to keep referencing it, because I'm still mad at you for not covering it tomorrow. And I'm going to now do the Steve Austin what to you every time you do. Uh, (laughs) I can play this game. (laughs) um, Yeah... I lost my train of thought now. Um, Humanizing the, uh, Skynet, giving it an avatar. Yeah. Okay. Skynet's always just kind of just been in the ether. You know, it's been an idea. It's been a thing. It's been, you know, it's it's been an ever-present, uh, you know, device of evil. But it's never been a character. And in this movie, it was a character. And I thought that was a nice, fresh change. I liked the idea of, and I laughed every time it happened. I was really, en- I was enjoying it. You know, there would be a projection of Skynet saying, why are you doing this? It's inevitable. You're never going to win. And they'd shoot the camera. <laughs> they'd shoot the projector, rather. And they just yeah. kept doing it. 
it, that that and when um, the second time they encounter John, and he's trying to convince them that there's that no matter what happens, both sides lose. Skynet loses every single time because they keep because they can never Skynet can never just kill the target they mean to kill, and so um, so Skynet always loses the war. In the meantime, Judgment Day always kills ninety percent of humanity. So they always come out of the so Skynet, the machine and the humans always come out of this thing losers. And so so the idea that Skynet and John both come to the realization that they're better off together than they are apart, I thought was interesting. And later on in the movie, um, after the first introduction of John and this idea of you know if you can't beat him, join him, and you know and he and he reasserts that you know why can't you see what I see. And, I, and, I, and I'm with him. I'm like, yeah, I, I get what your point is. I, and I certainly understand the frustration of trying to tell people there's a robot revolution and you're going to lose your job. And what are we going to do about 10% employment in this country? And no one's fucking listening because they're too busy worrying about gay marriages and rebel flags. Ahem. Uh, I get, I get That's my Facebook from. feed in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to Facebook today. Uh, I get where he's coming from, and he's, and and then, and then they won't even listen to him. They just shoot him. <laughs> he says, "All you people know how to do is shoot things." Well, they listened I mean, to I him the first time. I almost fell out of my fucking chair when he said it. I was laughing so hard, and I and I and it and it, and it wasn't just funny to me; it rang true. You know that he has seen the future. He sees a better way, at least, you know, in his mind, it's a better way. Well, and he, he's the best villain in the sense that he truly believes what he's saying. And right. if he was a decent actor and had better dialogue and so on and so forth, that might have been a better character. But the motivation is good. Is it a very, like, audible feeling when he interacts with Amelia Clark? No, I didn't actually get that this time. I, I was very glad they didn't go that route because they could have the first time he interact the first time um jason clark interacts with amelia jason clark interacts with amelia um you know so he plays sarah connor uh i was like totally creepy <laughs> acceptable creepy but creepy i don't know i didn't get that but that's also just me um, no, i just uh yeah, I, I like can we talk a little bit about jason clark because speaking of flat and he at least is supposed to be that way for most of it because he's a robot. And a soldier. But, man, he is just not a very good actor. Well, I've never seen him... What do, you, do you want everyone to be Cesar Romero? I want people not to suck. I don't want people to confuse nuanced for non-existent. <laughs> I had no problem with his performance. I had no problem with Jai Courtney's performance either. These aren't supposed to be clouds. I knew what to expect from Jai Courtney, okay? Again, he's flat. Fine. That's what you get with Jai Courtney. But this guy, I gotta look up what else he's been in because there was something else from him that I seem to recall just was actively bad. Hang on. I'm, uh, man, this is an awful... Okay, he's pretty bad and lawless. Uh, he's awful in Wall Street. Money never sleeps, but everyone kind of is. Public Enemies is horrible. The Death Race remake is horrible. 
He's oh yeah, okay. That's where I remember him from, and that's why I kind of remember him not being. He's the male lead in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and is somehow, despite being you know a human, upstaged by Andy Serkis's Caesar at every given opportunity. He's Jason. He's a warm body, and I'm not entirely sure how. Again, his internal temperature rises enough. <laughs> And uh, okay, I I got one more big gripe about things they lifted from the Terminator from the better Terminator movies, and that's Jason Clark knocking off Kyle Reese's speech about the Terminators, and it that one really kind of rankled me, and that's okay. just personal. Tell me, I don't remember this. Oh, the it can't be bargained with, it can't be reasoned with, it doesn't feel pity or remorse, and absolutely will not stop until you are dead. Okay. Because that's Reese's line to Sarah in uh, one of the in the original Terminator to kind of convince her of the severity of the circumstances that she has found herself in. And he does it in a very again, you mentioned that he kind of overacts through most of it, which uh, I so, will so kind of about it, buddy. He is, I'm going I with I'm going with kind of and fair enough if you disagree. That is Jim Carrey levels of overacting. Oh, that is absolutely not true. That is what? just blatantly. Watch that, movie again. Watch that movie again and imagine him saying, and imagine him talking to you. Look, I'm just saying it's not Jim Carrey levels of overacting. I'm not going to pretend that it's, you know, subtle or anything, but again, I, <laughs> come on. Jim Carrey is the highest class of overacting you He's can throw so someone into. in that movie. <laughs> You gotta understand. The Terminators are coming. Judgment Day is coming. Why am I even talking to you? Ah! Like he's gonna come in his pants at the end of every sentence. Again, I'm not going to pretend it's perfect. All right, let's. I'm just going to say that it comes across as a bit more genuine and a bit more connective than what he than what Clark does here. Which, and look, if you want to have the evil Terminator steal that line fine. The key is it has to be menacing and he's just flatly reciting lines. Okay, I'm not going to argue that point. A lot of it was very much delivered as if he was re- if he was a newscaster reading from a teleprompter. I thought it was an acting choice. <laughs> I, and again, some of that's on him, some of that's on the director. If you want to take what is supposed to be you know, an impassioned plea that kind of illustrates your utter helplessness and your circumstance, which is what you get in the original, and you want to turn it into this, you know, menacing declaration from your primary antagonist, fine, it has to come across that way. And Michael it doesn't. Delivers, Michael Bean delivers dialogue, like he has that disorder where you orgasm just by being touched. I'm not going to enter this debate with you because it's not relevant to the movie we're discussing. Um, you know, you know, we have 15 minutes left. You know who we should talk about? Arnold Schwarzenegger. No case. Ah, uh, you know, I got such a. Well, we got to talk about him. We got to talk a little bit about Amelia Clark. Okay. Uh, let's start with her because I want to talk about Arnie a bit. But Clark, she was fine. I mean, let's be fair oh, here. You're reaching. <laughs> <laughs> she was fine. She did not detract from the movie. She's a fine actress. 
I don't, again, this is one of those things where I'm not quite sure if this is, you know, the writing, the direction, or the acting. It just, and part of this is, let's be clear, she's trying to step into the shoes of quite possibly the most or second most female, most famous and iconic female action role of all time. Because you've got Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, and you've got Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. And I don't think there's anything close. It's those two and then a whole bunch of also-rams. Well, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow is good. Yeah. Distant third. Distant third, but yes, deserves worthy of mention in this circumstance. Okay, that's fair. And again, trying to fill that role is really hard. And again, I'm not quite sure where all this comes. It doesn't come off the rails, but where it falls short is probably a better way to say that. Uh, She does a fine job with the emotional stuff. She handles the action very well. I wish her accent was consistent, but again, that's more me than I think the general populace. It's not. This isn't quite as blatant as, you know, Charlie Hunnam in Pacific Rim or. Uh, Michael Fassbender decide, remembering his Irish accent only while wearing the Magneto helmet in X-Men First Class, but <laughs> seriously, people, much better in Days of Future Past. Much better. He's got a handle on it by then, but rewatch First Class, and believe me, he's got the helmet on, he's suddenly Irish, and it's amusing, but she again, she's not that bad, but it she struggles a little bit with her accent at times, and it's it's not a detraction. I think she's fine. I think she's passable. I think you could have done a lot worse as far as both you know casting and how she wound up coming across. So your thoughts on her, apart from you now believe she's the greatest thing ever, and not just because she goes topless for several sequences in Game of Thrones. Well, you don't see anything, but um, I liked her. I, I like the Sarah Connor character in this movie. I like that she struggles, you know, that her story is she's struggling with fate and determinism. Um, I like the fact that, you know, she's... Well, Sarah Connor is consistently the most interesting character in any of these movies, even when she's yeah. not in. I said to you offline, I said, the really, the, and I, I look, to, to um, who's, what studio did this? Was this Paramount? I don't know. Um, Hang on, I'll find out. Yeah, look it up for me while we're, while we're talking. But to the studio who's making uh, made... production, it was produced by Skydance, distributed by Paramount. Okay, so to Paramount and, and Skydance, I, your movie bombed, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it had a rough weekend. It had a lot, you know. It uh, you gave it, away it, half of the freaking plot in the stupid previews. Yes, it did. Um, but here, but here's my open letter to them going forward. What's interesting and fun about the Terminator movies is Sarah Connor. It's her story. It's, John Connor is not interesting. John Connor is not whose shoulders this movie rests on, even though, it, it, even though he plays a large part in the, in the narrative and you know, in, the, uh, in the history of this thing. It's really. Kind of, it, it, I actually it, it, liked what they did with him in Rise of the Machines. I thought that was. I enjoy Terminator Three. It's a guilty pleasure. I will not defend it as a good movie. I can enjoy it. I was going to say independently, it, it's a fine. You know, it's, it's a fine chase robot movie. It doesn't really fit into, I think, the Terminator uh, overall narrative. Um, I, actually, I think it's a it's a very jarring movie in that sense. 
But my, my point is, and I want to be clear about this because I'm, I'm going to repeat this again tomorrow night. Terminator is the Sarah Connor story. It's her struggling. It's her with this, you know, hero's arc, which they've now retconned. But, uh, you know, as he starts out of this, as this, you know, waitress who's having issues and, you know, she becomes this, you know, battle-hardened uh, person Psychopath, and all of that. I too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm going to talk a lot tomorrow night about, you know, about her portrayal in, um, in Judgment Day because it definitely bears a lot of discussion. Um, That's awesome. But I, but, I, uh, but I like the fact, you know, because in Judgment Day, she decides that, the, you know, Skynet's got to go and the reason why, and, you know, and it's got to go by killing Miles Dyson and she doesn't even consider, uh, you know, the fact that she's about to murder a human being. She's so... Uh, you know, Her sequ- that off. sequence where she attacks the Dyson home, I think is still visually very striking because she has kind of become a borderline robot at that point. And right. it actually is, you know, the Terminator that kind of helps her but regain I, her humanity. Right. And I like the idea that in this one, they don't go after the human beings. They, ju- they just tear down the servers, you know, and, you know, and sort of this idea of whatever happens, we have to make sure that this doesn't, that, you know, that nothing ever evolves into Skynet, which is the whole point of that last sequence where Kyle says to his younger self, remember Genesis of Skynet. Um, but in any case... Well, that's so he can remember <laughs> it when he's sent back. Right. Um, but Yay I, for I, convoluted I, time travel. Yeah. I, uh, I like... I like the portrayal. I like her acting. Um, I thought she did well in this movie. I thought... You know, the movie really does rest on her shoulders. Um, you know, if she doesn't work... Well, for the emotional stuff, at least, because, again, Jai yeah. Courtney is flat. Well, that's the thing. She's surrounded by robots between Jai Courtney and Schwarzenegger and Jason Clark. She, you know, what does she have to work with? So if she's not... We needed more of her and J.K. Simmons, who is... Can, J.K. J.K. Simmons is freaking awesome. No, he's fucking wasted in this movie. Like I don't understand Oscar the winner J.K. Simmons has a bit part in this, basically taking over the uh, Doctor. God, I can't remember his name. The the again, you mentioned him before, the forensic psychologist from one, two, and three. He's basically kind of got that role of guy very much in over his head, who gets to actually be a human. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, def- definitely different for uh, for J.K. Simmons. He's usually he, he's usually not like a rambling crazy person. But he doesn't do anything in this movie. Like which, he, which, he's gonna again sequel baiting. He's gonna wind up being very important in the next ones that are never gonna get made. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not attacking you. You didn't do it. But like, you know, if, like if you're gonna leave stuff in for a sequel, fine. But it has to have its place in the movie you're doing, or that's bad writing. And this is what I mean when I say craft. I don't. You know, I was, I was thinking about this in terms of the next Star Wars movie. They've got a monumental problem that they have to make sure that if they if they don't get it right, it's gonna it's gonna cause the whole movie to go into the fucking ditch. And that is they have to connect Return of the Jedi to this movie that's thirty years ago. And one of the ways that they're doing that is they're releasing a bunch of books in September that tell the that tell the interim story between uh, the Battle of Endor and the beginning of this movie. Okay. You're treading on thin ice by doing that, because if your movie doesn't handle it in some way, I mean, I'm not saying we have to have a 30-year fucking flashback, 
but you no, but have it, you have this is why you have exposition and dialogue, and you can touch on right. the events that happen. If you don't address the fact that you know that the Empire and the Rebellion are in a thirty-year stalemate, your movie sucks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you've mentioned this before. If your movie, if your ability to enjoy a movie is completely predicated on reading extemporaneous material attached to it, you have failed miserably. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, like I said, I was thinking about this in the bookstore. Like, I'm probably I'm going to read the books because I'm, I'm I'm a fanatic. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, even though I don't read any of the Marvel comics because, of, quite frankly, Marvel's whole thing about everybody has to have their own comic now is make, makes me sick. Um, <laughs> Dark Vader, Princess Leia, Lando, they all have their own comics. Um, Lando? Really? Lando has his own comic. Yes, he does. Han Solo has his own comic. Literally, every character their own comic. Um, Han makes sense because Han's awesome, but come on. About a black man we don't need a Chewie spinoff that we're going to get. All right, we got to jump in. We got to get to Arnie here. My point with this is that I, is if I have is if I have to, if I, if I don't understand what it is you're doing in the movie and it's explained in some other material, you have failed as a writer. And if you're throwing things... I know, that I, and I know I, I might be contradicting myself because I forgave the Avengers for a lot of this, but I felt like the stuff that they put in in the Avengers to set up the Infinity War and next year's Civil War, a lot of war movies in the, in the Avengers, um, still fit the overall narrative. I mean, Josh well, Whedon... They did. Josh Whedon needs a fucking award for his ability to keep that many balls in the air. Because I feel Josh like Whedon does not need an award, ever. He's not that. I feel like he's standing there, trying to trying to juggle three balls in the air, which is this you know this script, this enormous cast, and uh, you know and, and the the previous movie and all that it set up. And as he's sitting there juggling three balls, there's Kevin Feige firing more balls at him, you know, and you know and he can't drop any of them, and he doesn't. He masterfully manages to keep every ball in the air, and everything made sense in the Avengers. Age of Ultron, even though it was a lot of it was setting up for other movies, and, and people really you can set up for, you can set up for other movies as long as it makes sense within the context of the story you're telling. Right, right. and that's my problem. That's one of my my big issues with Salvation was that they threw stuff in the movie that was like, "We'll get to it at another time." No, fuck you. That's bad movies. That's bad storytelling. Don't think we're going to get to it another time. I can say it on this podcast. You can't say it in a movie. Well, no one's shelling out money for this. You know, we're free. <laughs> we're, also telling, we're, we're also not telling a story here. No, oh, we're reviewing a story. All right. Now, I, I completely agree. And as much as I get a kick out of J.K. Simmons, and let me say this. I like the idea behind the character, you know, the cop who saw, you know, the robots, the time travelers and whatnot, and has now become obsessed with it. I like the idea, but it's their blatant kind of, okay, we'll get back to this later in another movie. That is not going to get made because you're not going to make money on this movie. Uh, and, and that's, again, poor writing. It's poor directing. It's just bad decisions. And J.K. Simmons manages to absolutely steal every scene he's in because he's freaking awesome. And it has been for the better part of two decades. And purposeless. He literally serves no purpose in this movie. Oh, completely purposeless. <laughs> I think he shows up to like try and get them out of... Uh, 
handcuffs at the police station, which another quasi ripoff of a scene from Terminator that didn't need to be ripped off, but I digress. They were naked on a highway. <laughs> what did you want? I'm not saying they sh- I'm not saying they shouldn't have been arrested. And no, that's the hospital sequence. I'm talking about the police precinct sequence. Two different sequences. Which ought to tell you how redundant it is. Either way, I don't <laughs> We can't do what My issue is not that they wound. Hang on. Uh, what issue, what do you want to do? Meet the flower shop? I don't understand. My issue you. is not that they wound up in a police station under arrest. Fine. Can we avoid just kind of again taking whole sequences from this movie and putting them into this one? It shows a distinct lack of creativity. What whole sequence? I don't remember Arnold Schwarzenegger driving a car into the lobby of the police station and killing everyone in sight. No, because this movie's PG-13, and the only on-screen... There are, like, five on-screen deaths, which is another issue, but... Oh, again, much like CGI, I'm also not, I'm also not a rating snob. I can enjoy a movie I, that doesn't... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me defend this, because I've thought about this. I actually had to think about this after the movie. You don't need an R rating to make a good Terminator movie. Let me be perfectly clear about that. You just have to be good. If you know how to craft a good story, you can do it well within the bounds of making a PG-13 movie. There are some very good PG-13 action movies and PG-13 horror movies. And if you can make a PG-13 horror movie that's still scary, bravo, you have accomplished something. The fact that this movie is PG-13 does not bother me in in the sense that, okay, we're trying to appeal to teenagers. Fine. You just have to know how to do that without compromising kind of the soul of the franchise, and they don't do that here. I'm not, I'm not, not clamoring for blood and guts and high body counts. All right? But there are just – first of all, there's expectations with Terminator movies that may include blood, guts, and high body counts from time to time, now, that's, which is a whole other thing. But again, Hang my on. issue is not – got to do your job for you. We have less than All a minute right. left. We're about to go into overtime, which is uh, will be recorded, and you'll be able to hear it um, a little later on tonight. Uh, and I promise you, we didn't mean to do this. It just happened to work out that way. I promise you, we will have a lots of Arnold talk in the Come back in 20 minutes. Session. Yeah. <laughs> I, if you were waiting to hear uh, us talk at length about Pops, <laughs> it's coming, I swear to God. Thirty less than thirty seconds go. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's very true. Yeah. We'll again come back in twenty minutes. You'll have all the Arnie talk you can handle on the finished episode. And again, I don't care that it's PG thirteen. I care that it's completely neutered. And the, again, you don't. They don't even try. I mean, again, yeah. You. I can tell you how many people die in this movie. You want to know how many? The only on-screen deaths, okay, you have some in the opening battle sequence, which are more implied than shown. And then in the police station, you have the reveal of oh, that one cop actually being uh, Jason Clark, and he shoots the three people in the room. That's it. And it's just, it feels, it doesn't feel like a Terminator movie. It feels like they sacrificed aspects of the franchise and not just the franchise in general, but kind of what makes these movies successful. 
and they didn't know how to adequately compensate with things that could fit within the scope of a thir- of a PG-13 movie. And that's a failing of again writing and directing. And that's a minor it's a minor gripe that I have. And all right, on to Arnold, who oh god bless him, he tries. <laughs> yeah, let me be fir- first of all the fact that Arnie actually does some decent acting in this is a credit to him as a performer. Who he, I maintain Arnold's ability to actually act in both the dramatic and comedic sense is criminally underrated. And he gets a bit, of, you get a bit of that here. It's not easy to act as a robot, despite Jai Courtney's best attempts here and Jason Clark being flat. And I kind of, I enjoyed Arnie when he was on screen. You know, I didn't so much care for the writing of constantly having to reference he's old but not obsolete, which desperately screams like a meta reference. Please, Arnie's still relevant. That's poor writing. But at the same time, I kind of enjoyed, you know, the older Terminator aspect. He's got things on him that aren't holding up quite as well, that need to be, you know, repaired and looked after from time to time. I'm fine with that. You know, him trying to smile was probably the funniest thing in this whole movie. And that's not an easy facial expression to make, you know, of trying to smile, but it coming out like that much of a grimace. <laughs> and the fact that, again, one, the fact that you're able to kind of believe that this machine has some kind of emotional attachment to Sarah by the end of this is a testament to, again, Arnie is an actor and a bit of the writing. I thought he was, you know, again, good to, uh, not great, but he was, you know, fine to good as far as his performance goes in this movie. And he certainly didn't detract from it. And that's what I've got to say about it. Mark, what are your thoughts on Arnie? I like Pops. Um, I like the, I like that he uh, evolved as a character. Um, He's got a couple of, he's got a couple of one-liners that are really funny to me. Uh, you know, like he's familiar with the, I'm kind of doing these out of order, but he's familiar with, uh, Cyberdyne systems because he helped build it. And she said, you got a job in construction? Yeah. So I was laid off. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah, that cracked me up. You know, the, at one point, uh, he's looking at a gun and he's like, I read about this gun on gunsandammo.com. You know, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like, what does a robot do for thirty years? You know what I mean? Like, wh- yeah. How, how does it? What is? What, uh, what oh does come on! Robot- you know, now we need the interim story. You know, it, screw yeah. a sequel. We need an interim movie just dealing with Arnie as a construction worker and whatnot for thirty years in Los Angeles, prepping for there's their arrival. A, there's a comedy to be there. There's a comedy to be to be made of you know the the uh, the period between. Uh, 1984 and 2017, you know, as he waits for them to, to show up. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I think about Prometheus, and everyone made a huge deal about the, uh, the actor who plays the android trying to keep itself busy while everyone else is in cryosleep. You know, and, and he's uh, Michael Fassbender again in a much better role. Uh, and you. look, I like... Um, I like Prometheus. I'm one of like the few, I think, but I very much like Prometheus. Well, I guess if you can understand it, then you can enjoy it. I, I'm still, I still don't understand that movie. Um, I don't know what the fuck I was. Well, again, the way my brain works, I connect things, and in that case, it does kind of increase. Don't get me wrong; it's flawed, 
I'm not going to defend it as you know perfect, but I enjoyed it, and I think it overall qualifies as a good movie. I think I mean, too many two people hours, went in there. Two hours to get to the Xenomorph, uh, and in the middle of that, we had to watch a woman give herself an abortion. I and that's that. where you're all kind of hung, fixated on, well, it's supposed to be an alien prequel, and no, it's really not. There were a lot of religious questions. It reminded me, honestly, Prometheus reminded me of The Matrix. It started off as a high-minded philosophical movie that's executed poorly by people who don't understand the material they're trying to, uh, they're trying to express on screen. I can kind of see that. In any case, um, back to the point something. being. David, uh, David, the character in Prometheus, occupies himself while everyone's in cryosleep. Right. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy that aspect of him. I enjoy him being sort of protective of Sarah, not just because he's programmed to, but because he doesn't think initially, you know, there was a lot of that, you know, I don't, you're not good enough for my daughter type stuff, which even though he's an Android, uh, sorry, cyborg, I thought it was fun. Um, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take, to let the movie take me on a bit of a ride. Uh, you know, and, and I'm willing to let some things be a little inconsistent, like why he would why he would feel that way. You know, <laughs> like I don't quite understand how he got that, how that opinion of Kyle Reese came about. You're not good enough for Sarah, really. The, well, the because he's Jai Courtney and he's not really good at anything. No, let's be nice. There's nothing wrong with Kyle Reese the character. Um, and it's Jai. <sighs> Look, I'm just saying, if I saw Jai Courtney and he wanted to date my daughter, I would no. That's just that. absolutely that. not. In the context of the movie, there was no reason for him to say that, but it was still fun to watch. It was certainly a lot easier to digest than, say, uh, Meet the Fockers. <laughs> Let's not whatever. discuss anything involving Ben Stiller on this show ever again, and I will just be a very happy person. I'm actually thinking meet the parents. Um, but, you know, that, that, just that... You know, I you're don't not good care. It's adult. Ben Stiller, and he needs to die horribly <laughs> in a fire, and his everything about him needs to be wiped from the cultural zeitgeist. Oh, my God, how self-control. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point. That, you know, that in the Meet the Parents movies, you have this idea of, you're not good enough for my daughter, so I'm going to torture you, and the fun, the fun is in the torture. You know, I, 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 have, a, I have a real hard time with that, Whereas I saw, you know, the same dynamic in this one. You're not good enough for my daughter, but at least that was fun. You had the two of them sort of, you know, um, you had the two of them uh, loading weapons, and they're, you know, they're getting competitive. Again, why would the android get competitive with the human? But who cares? You know, it, it was, it, it, they forced sort of an evolution on a character that by all rights probably shouldn't have evolved. It's, it's a robot. But, you know, but it does ask the question, can robots evolve? You know, we, you know, it, it does well, go back. Again, and that whole subplot is explored much better in Judgment Day, but it's also, again, being handled by a much more competent director and writer and everything. So it's it, kind of to be expected. It, it does go back to the, you know, to the Skynet thing of, you know, Skynet evolved and it learned. And, you know, and that's, and, that, and that's, again, it kind of takes you back to the beginning of, of this podcast where why did I like Genesis? Because it, it in a dumb way. 
you know, in, an, in a done popcorn-eating action way, it does talk about something that is culturally relevant and important, and it's more important than, uh, you know, than marriage and flag. And where are we going technology-wise? Um, the, the whole concept of being part human and part machine, you know, the idea of technology becoming self-aware, you know, all of these things are real. I and just really be- wish those ideas had been framed in a better script with a better director. Shark Boy is back on TNA Impact. Just want you to know that. Why in God's name would I care about that? And he's still doing the Stone Cold Shark Boy bit. I still do not care. All right. Um, so I enjoyed the, the you know the character. I'm obviously not going to get all you know bent out of shape about you know him aging because they explained that just fine with you know the skin ages and whatever. Yay! They explained it. Made me happy. Yeah, and look, it's maybe it's a bit of a dubious explanation, but let's be clear, it's a Terminator movie. So, <laughs> again, look, my thing with movies, and this goes to all movies, and I can't think of a better example of this, ironically enough, than Snakes on a Plane. Here's why. <laughs> Here's why. Hang on, let me def- let, let me make my point. If I'm going to see your movie, if I'm paying money, if I'm devoting my time, which is worth a great deal more than money. I am willing to suspend my disbelief. All you as a film and every person who has gone into making this, all you have to do is not smack me in the face with something so stupid or unbelievable that it takes me out of it. Right. With snakes on a plane, they went out of their way to go, okay, we know snakes don't actually behave like this. Here's a somewhat plausible explanation as to why. Okay, thank you for making the effort to allow me to continue suspending my disbelief. And that's kind of, and that's what we got here. Okay, Terminator's older. Why? Well, the uh, you know the tissue is natural and it ages, even though he doesn't actually age from you know 1984. <laughs> he doesn't age from like 1985 to 2017. But okay, living tissue ages. That's why he looks older. Thank you for allowing me to continue to suspend my disbelief. It is deeply appreciated. Um, overall. I, you know, it's, this was supposed to be, um, you know, James Cameron said it's, it's the spiritual successor to Judgment Day. I agree with that, even if, you know, if he's just trying to give Arnold a favor and, a, you know, and, and uh, some shine. James I don't Cameron really care. Says that because James Cameron said a bunch of positive things about this movie because this movie lifts wholesale from two of his very good movies. So, of course, he says positive things about it. Care, and I agree with him. I, I, I think to me, I don't. To me, this makes more sense than 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 Judgment Day. Uh, sorry, this makes more sense than Rise of the Machines or uh, or Salvation. Well, I would say it makes as much sense as Rise of the Machines. Well, hear my discussion tomorrow with Sean and Jesse, and you'll know why you're wrong. Um, but, I am I am not wrong about that, mind you. But but um, let, let's talk turkey for a moment, as we do on these podcasts. This thing had a budget of 155 million uh, worldwide so far. 131.4. Boom. Bomb. Uh, okay, for those of you who don't know, let, let's be clear about the finances. The financials of movie making. All right. First of all, that budget is just production. It does not include advertising. Of which there was a lot. Yes. Second, a studio in this case, Paramount, recoups 55 percent of 
gross ticket sales, which means that if your movie wants to actually make money, you must give or take double your budget. So this movie has to make 300 plus million worldwide. That's again, that's not domestic. That's you have to total make again, more than double your budget by and large, if you want to be financially successful, this movie's not going to come anywhere near that. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, and I can't stress this enough, they gave away their big plot twist in the previews. <laughs> That's, again, at that point, you have said to the view, to the movie-going audience at large, you have now said, there is no story. You know the entirety of the story now from this three-minute preview. Come watch us blow stuff up anyway. And apparently the viewing audiences have looked at that and said, no, we will not be paying to see you blow stuff up. And here's the other thing. This Terminator is a franchise that has been damaged. Prior to this movie, it was damaged. Rise of the Machines, fun. I can Again, I can have fun with it. Not a huge success. Salvation was a bomb. And nothing redeemable about Terminator Salvation. Not a darn thing. Now you're trying to overcome all of that baggage. Now, you've done a couple of things right. First of all, you got Arnold back, which is a lot more important than you might think. You brought the heart of the movies, of the stories back with the Sarah Connor character. And you decide to monkey around with the alternate timeline thing, which was done in many ways much better on the television show, but that's a different story. But you decide to monkey with the timeline a bit so we can play off of some iconic moments and maybe get a bit of nostalgia going at the same time, in theory. In execution, not at all, but in theory. And you've got an idea for a major plot twist involving the John Connor character, who is a pansy-ass character, by and large. Not that he is, you know, cowardly and without redemption, because that's not true, but no one cares about the John Connor character, ever. Uh, he's never been competently written or acted, including Edward Furlong having all of his lines redubbed in post-production because he's terrible. And again, so you've done some things that are on the right track. Then again, first of all, we're going to give away our story. Just wholesale, give it away. Watch a TV spot, see a preview in a theater, look it up on the internet. Nope, story, gone. No interest anymore in story. You then poorly execute some of these ideas. You drop it in the middle of action movies that are done the same, if not better, and have better word of mouth going, like Jurassic World. And you spend way too much on it. You market it inappropriately. You're dealing with audience burnout, and you're not presenting anything new. How was this ever going to succeed? Mark, I'm asking you, how could this movie have succeeded? Because I've got nothing. Um, I don't know how, I mean, like I said, I don't know how many, how, how much people pay attention to anything. So I don't even know, like. Well, again, like we I don't attention. think there's many people consciously thinking about this the way I think about it. But a lot of what I notice consciously still filters down to the subconscious well, of everyone else. I mean, everybody I've talked to in my circle of nerds, 
complained about them giving away the John Connor uh, twist in the in, you know in the poster and in the pre and in the commercials and everything and in the trailer. But I don't know, you know, but but not but it's not just nerds going to see this movie. You, you got you know people like my parents who don't pay attention to that shit. Um, you know, you've got casual people. I, I here here's the problem. You know, you said that it's a damaged franchise, and I think about it in terms of like professional wrestling. Um, this is the way Barrett of movie franchises. What I was gonna say was, you know, if you you have a product that, um, you know, years ago people watched and enjoyed, and for nostalgia or you know for fandom, we'll come back and watch it again. But many of those people have moved on and don't care anymore, and so you're forced to have to you know get a new audience, and if you don't have the characters on board to attract that audience then you're kind of stuck. I don't know who the hell Amelia Clark's supposed to appeal to. I don't know People who People watch Court- Game of Thrones. And I don't know who Jack Courtney is supposed to appeal to. No one. And I don't know anybody under the age of 30 who gives a shit about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think there's, there's a I myth about... I know I think there's a myth about Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, that he still commands box office. None of his movies, since he's left the governorship, have done well. So I don't know why... You know, I, I can just imagine, like, being a studio executive, like, we got to get Arnie back. Oh, you know, Arnie and the Terminator, come on. It, it, as if no time has passed. And, you know, it's still 1984. Arnold is not a $30 million man anymore. I mean, when Rise of the Machine came out, I, you know, I was watching one of the documentaries on it, and they were like, it's a shit movie. Ask for $30 million and just do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, you're not that guy anymore. You know, uh, I, I, I'll bring him up again. Nick Mundy pitched an idea for, for an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Last Action Hero 2, and basically it was a vehicle to just tell Arnold Schwarzenegger to stop making movies. <laughs> and <laughs> and as, as annoyed as people were in the middle of movie fights that he did that, he had a point. This is not... This is not the I, I think the problem the is... That people, I think movie studios and studio executives who have their heads so far up their own asses, it's almost like doing it a second time. They want him to still be that guy. And the crazy thing is, if you put Arnold in the appropriate role and market it appropriately, he can still not only be a, he can still be successful both critically and financially. No one seems to understand what to do with an aging Arnold, and that's what's really kind of causing all the problems here is everyone wants 80s Arnie, and that's not who he is anymore. He can still be... I'm going to pitch something, and you're going to laugh, and you're going to be like, you're a crazy person. But um, I know that they're bringing back What's-His-Face, who played General Ross from the the last Hulk movie, and that's fine. Adam Hurt. Who? Adam Hurt. The actor who played General Ross in uh, the crappy Edward Norton Hulk movie wasn't crappy, but um, it was crappy. I think it was. I think I think it's William Hurt. Incredible. Oh, it is. It's William Hurt. Excuse me. Because I get him confused with John Hurt in name only. Uh, Very different actors, mind you. But yeah, William Hurt. Excuse me. I was wrong. Well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the first time Marvel recasted a. Uh, one one of their uh, I'm characters. Just, I, they should have brought back Sam Elliott. They really should have. No, they should cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as General Ross. I and would be fine why. with that too. And here's why: you could make use of his age, 
And that's a perfect introduction of the Red Hulk. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger turning into a Hulk is believable. Um, and, I, and I think pairing him up with, you know, I, I think an angry, disdainful Schwarzenegger, um, you know, who, who is obsessed with, uh, you know, a- ending Mark Ruffalo's life would be a fun thing to watch. And I think that gives well, an opportunity and to, to sort of act out of himself, you know, because Arnold Schwarzenegger just keeps doing the same stupid roles. There's one movie that he wa- that he was in where he plays like the sheriff of a, of a western town. Uh, it's like the uh, last, last man. Yes. Yeah, it it did shit, but I actually enjoyed him in that. You know, it's I a liked- fun movie. I mean, that, yeah, that's about the perfect mashup of a western motif for the contemporary action movie you can get. I enjoyed right. the heck out of that movie. No one gives a fuck about Arnold Schwarzenegger unless nobody saw it. I saw it on cable one, one, you know, one late night when I couldn't get to sleep. You know, and that's the thing. I, my point is I enjoyed him in that because that is the kind of role he should be taking. He should not be taking young man roles, and he shouldn't be tra- trading on roles he did 30 years ago or 20 years ago, for that matter. I completely agree, and I think it's a shame that, no. again, the issue here tends to be I feel, again, if part of this is Arnold knowing, okay, you're going to pay me a lot of money to do this, so I'm going to shut up and get paid. And part of it is, again, studios not grasping how to handle aging action stars. Right. It's, it's very much, I mean, studios are very much like, oh, this thing was successful, you know, X amount of years ago. There's no reason why it wouldn't be successful again. And it's weird because they're the same people who also do focus groups. And I'm like, what focus group did you do that said Arnold Schwarzenegger was still a relevant actor in 2015? I like, really don't know. And uh, focus Paramount, groups are a whole other. Paramount, Warner Brothers, uh, Universal. I'm available as a consultant. I will come in and tell you what you're doing is wrong and do something else. Okay? So that you don't keep losing money like this because I feel bad for you now. I have attacked Warner Brothers relentlessly on Long Road to Ruin, and I'm at a point where I will offer, I will come to California if you pay me to, and I and I am offering my the Ravelogen Broadcasting Service is now venturing into movie consultancy. Hire us, we will come in, we won't do anything production wise, but we will review what you're doing and tell you. Heck, you're if you don't want to pay us to come out there. You can put us on the payroll. You can email us crap. We'll all get together and talk about it, and then we'll give you our cliff notes, you, and you'll be better I off mean, for it. I, would you rather us review your scripts and have the conversation before you, you know, put things to print, or would you continue to have Robert and I rip your movies apart and tell you what you're doing is terrible? To an okay? audience of all of 20 people. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make us some money here, asshole. Oh, never going to happen. So, uh, Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, uh, we are available. Myself, Robert Winfrey, Sean Palmer, we are all available anytime to review your movies and um, consult and uh, help you uh, revive some of these. Because I'm, I'm all, look, I was thinking about this earlier. I took my kids to the park today, and this is Florida, so when I say park, I mean indoor park. Uh, because nobody goes outside in Florida. That's just, that you're just asking for trouble. Um, you might be shot. Yeah, you're you full of violence up. and gangs and crazy people. And it's hot. So we went. So we were at the park, and um, they were playing music. Which, incidentally, my son, big fan of music, he would want he would waddle over, and his his go to move is that he claps. 
when he dances. And so they were playing Kids Bop. And one of the Kids Bop songs, um, incidentally, that he was boogieing down to was a Kids Bop rendition of Ghostbusters. And a, and a Isn't that Kid Boppy enough? <laughs> and a question was asked about, you know, does does Ghostbusters need to be remade? They're, re, they're, they're, make, they're making two of them, by the way. Uh, I'm the, aware, and I think it's a horrible idea. Well, that's what I'm getting to. I don't care anymore. Nothing is sacred. Remake everything. And I, it's and not even about thing. sacred. I mean, I just don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> nope. I'm with the studios. Nobody wants to see a new story. They don't make any money. Go ahead and take every brand off your shelf and make it into a movie. Take board games. Take everything. And when they all bomb, then what are you going to do? That's where I'm going with this, Robert Winfrey. The Rattlegen Broadcasting Network will work for you and take your brand and help you make good movies out of them. We can do this. We are available. We are for hire. End this fucking podcast, Winfrey. (laughs) All right, let me find the outro music. No, I mean, do a proper outro. I will, I just gotta find it. There it is. All right, I know what it is, I just had to find it on my little scroll bar. And this time, let let, let it go to the chorus, for God's sakes. (laughs) No. Uh, All right, everybody. Mark's mentioned it a few times, if you're listening to this after the fact, but this coming Thursday the 9th, Mark Radlett, Sean Comer, and Jesse Starcher will be reviewing the Terminator franchise. Well, no, they won't be reviewing the Terminator franchise because Mark's a big baby about salvation. It's the Terminator trilogy. I sat, I re-sat through half a dozen Hellraiser movies that are awful. Sean did it too, and you can't re-watch Salvation. Ah. Maybe. This is the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, law. That is, movies that are set up as trilogies should be reviewed as trilogies, even if there are more movies in the franchise. Salvation ah. still falls within that same story. No, it doesn't. It yes, it does. Of, no, it doesn't. It's the beginning of a new trilogy that they aborted because it bombed. It's, it's so it That's should be discussed within the... Con- uh, whatever. The point no, is, he's a baby about it. And they're only I doing the first three. Which are I in and of themselves no, fine. I, I, I resent the implication, sir. I we, we did Star Trek two, three, and four. That was one story, even though there were six movies. Seven. Well, you also you can't, can't do six movies on one show. But I could have. You were like, oh, if I, if I have to do you know do your crazy method of you know, hold on a movies. second. I don't mind breaking things up based on volume. Okay, right? I've done three or four different shows. That we had to break up because there's, you know, seven or eight movies. There's okay, four. Well, you can do four second. movies in one hey, show. So we're doing the Terminator trilogy, the proper Terminator trilogy, tomorrow night at 9 o'clock here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. When they make the other two movies that are supposed to go with Salvation, I will cover them. That is an absolute cop-out. You know they're never going to. <laughs> you don't know that. They could be on the... Someone could be on the phone after hearing this and saying, "We hear you're for hire. We'd like to, we'd like to revive the Terminator Salvation branch, uh, the Terminator Salvation trilogy. Can you help us?" And I'm ready yeah. with ideas. Yeah, because we clearly need two divergent timelines going at the same time for this convoluted. No, no, no. Why not? Bad idea. Oh. Why not? I will be. I'm, Sarah, I'm as far as I'm concerned, the Sarah Connor Chronicles took place in an alternate universe. 
It did. And they were pretty upfront about it. I don't think what I said was we don't need two things running concurrently. You can't be right. releasing sequels to Genesis and sequels to Salvation at the same time. They're not releasing any sequels to Genesis. We just went over that. I'm aware of that. I mean, hypothetically. They're not making any sequels to Salvation either. <laughs> they, they could be. We're for hire. I'll help you. I, I know how to make then, this work. Then you will be helping them with Genesis sequels, not Salvation sequels. As you were saying, sir. Uh, I also this Thursday I have live coverage of Invicta. I don't know the number or even who's fighting in the main event. There's an Invicta card uh, this coming Thursday. I will be providing live coverage over at 411 Mania to kick off my unholy, you know, two and a week and a half of hating life. Because for those of you who don't know, this Thursday there's Invicta, this Friday there's UFC 189, this Sunday there's the finale of The Ultimate Fighter 20, this Wednesday, this, yeah, Wednesday there is a UFC fight night, and next Saturday there's a UFC fight night. I'm so glad I, I quit. I get, so for the next, you know, 10 days I get to know what it's like to be Larry Zonka, because that's what he does with wrestling reviews. And I get to any anytime I feel I'm a little bit burned out or overworked with MMA, I slap myself and I look at how much professional wrestling Larry Zonka reviews, and I go, "Quit bitching, you do nothing." Like, yeah, but they pay him for that. Yeah, but still, the point—it's about volume in this particular instance. Hey, man, I helped you out with Kimbo Slice. God bless you for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this. Uh, this Friday, um, on excuse me, on everyone loves a bad guy. Hang on, when Kimbo Slice inevitably fights Bobby Lashley, I'll be there for you again. Damn right you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. You want to cover uh, Liam McGarry and Tito Ortiz <laughs> for the Bellator light heavyweight title? I don't know who any of those people are. Tito Ortiz. That's the guy that makes my. That's the guy that makes my Chipotle. <laughs> it's funny because it's true and he has alimony because you don't marry porn stars not like no, Jenna don't. Jameson it's a bad idea it's just a bad idea but anyway this Friday on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy I will be revisiting the Terminator franchise uh, I believe Ronnie Adams that guy from Screaming Boy Productions will be on and he'll talk it over with me that'll be a fun hour it's live at 9pm Eastern Standard Time on Friday Saturday, UFC 189 over in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Stop by, say hello. I will mock Chad Mendez roundly because he's short and sucks. Real quick, and, um, if, if you haven't had an opportunity to, uh, when you're done listening to this podcast, check out, if you're into the show, uh, Sean Comer and I finally got to uh, part one of our Orange is the New Black season review. Uh, we do these in four parts, three episodes apiece, unless, you know, it's not a number, then we do four. Um, but uh, we had we had to delay it. It's a little out of date now. I think the show came out in the beginning of June. But uh, shit happens. So, what, you know, nothing I can do about it. However, Sean and I did have a spirited discussion uh, about, our, about the first three episodes of Orange is the New Black. He is watching them um, only up to the point that we're talking to him on the show. So if he only saw the first three episodes, I binge watched the whole thing. And so what you have is one person screaming, 
oh my God, get on with it. We've already seen this. And the other person screaming, shut up, it gets better. Uh, you know, I think you will vigorously defend Orange is the New Black no matter what they do. It, I think <laughs> you just have that deep and emotional attachment to them. All right, yeah. this Sunday morning at, I think I'm going to go with one Eastern Standard Time. Probably noon would be better, though, wouldn't it? Anyway, noon Eastern, let's go. I'll say it now, noon Eastern. Uh, the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show will be live. It's a special time. Normally, it's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, but because there's a show in the evening, I can't do the show and cover the ultimate. Who the hell cares about the ultimate fighter, really? But I'm covering the show. <laughs> I am covering the finale. So stop by, say hello. I'm going to need it. But anyway, that, again, noon Eastern. We will. I will be reviewing. It's just me, actually. I don't have anyone set to come on. Jeff is in the middle of San Diego Comic-Con. So, um, again, the phone lines are always open for that show. But I will be reviewing UFC 189. I will be previewing, again, UFC Fight Night, whatever. I will be previewing, actually, three shows. The finale of The Ultimate Fighter, Season 21. The fight card on Wednesday and the fight card on Thursday. Or, excuse me, on Saturday. I believe the Saturday one is their debut in Scotland. It's headlined by Michael Bisbing and Talos Latus. So I'm okay. going to have, you know, three shows to preview. And I'm going to be, you know, hoping someone else is free, able, and willing to, you know, come on and, you know, kind of do that show with me. Because if I have to talk about all those by myself, I'm going to lose my voice by the end of it. <laughs> and probably go a little insane. Is there anybody left that rice in the MMA zone that would actually, like, come on the show? Yeah, I ask every now and then. I guess no one wants to. I don't know. See if, you can, see if Samer's got anything going on. I don't think he watches anymore, honestly. <laughs> oh, good God. Okay. That's <laughs> All right. We'll be back on Wednesday, actually, to review Minions, right? One week from tonight? Yes. It's Minions, then Ant-Man, then Pixels, <laughs> then Mission Impossible 3. Yes, we are premature i i still kick myself over agreeing to review pixels i really do i i said three mission impossible five I apologize oh pixels is finally going to unseat tomorrowland is the worst movie of the summer i would bet money on it we still have fantastic four. Oh, so okay um, what is that all right anyway so next week so we'll review minions. hang on i now I, I volunteered you for october you have to go see opening weekend, uh, Paranormal Activity 5, The Ghost Dimension. And you have a choice. I can either get like Ben or Sean, see if I can talk them into going opening weekend. Or you can go with your brother, and the two of you can, can uh, review it. I'm giving you that option. But, it's got, but I'm, putting, I'm demanding it be on the list for review. Why? Because. It's, it's not going to be very good. Okay. But it's still a big movie, and it, and it, yeah, and it is Paranormal Activity a big movie franchise at this point? I mean, yeah. marked ones it's did still, crap. It's still it's a big deal. It needs to be covered. But listen, uh, if Four One One Mania, you know, tells people, "Oh, we got you know, we have to have coverage of this this ridiculous event or that ridiculous event that no one's going to watch," I say Paranormal. Rattled in Broadcasting Network has to cover the Paranormal Activity franchise, 
And if you're asking, then why don't you go see it? Because I'm afraid. Fine, you pay for my movie ticket. I'll go see it. Well, I don't got that kind of money. We'll hey, they'll this. reimburse me for pay-per-views if I cover them. You can reimburse me for a movie ticket if you want me to see it. That's my line in the sand. Do a, do a Kickstarter. Do a Kickstarter. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, my wife got her project funded. Why can't we? Why can't we get a seven, You know, a ten dollars movie ticket funded. Well, first of all, because I refuse to pay ten dollars for a movie, it will be five for that one. Even better. Uh, uh, I'm just, I mean, look, if you're going to put your foot down about it, I said I was not covering, I said I was not reviewing straight out of Compton because I would hate it and I would just rip into it here You'd and we'd wind up yelling at each other and no one would get anything out of it. I will, I suppose, I don't want to see that movie. I really don't, but. Yeah, that's your makeup. Since you're bailing what? out straight out of Compton. Uh, I'm seeing pixels. Can't that be my makeup? No, sir. You agreed to it without uh, without without uh, pitching initially. Uh, I did. I should have seen a preview first. I want everyone in that movie to die except Peter Dinklage. Stop wishing death on people. You tell me right now. Adam Sandler dies in a car crash tomorrow. The world's not a better place from a cinematic standpoint. Doesn't mean you should wish death on him. Will you please end this podcast? <laughs> Not until you acknowledge my correctness about that. And that other fat guy with glasses who I hate. I, they're not funny! God, I'm sorry. My, again, comedy, personal, must be tolerant. I don't find them funny. All right, we're going to end this anyway. We'll be back next week reviewing Minions. I will see it before then. Mark will see it before then. Fun will be had. I'm worried about that movie, but uh, hopefully not. All right, until then, again... Follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Stitcher, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio. Do all of that. Subscribe. You can comment. You can rate us. We appreciate all of that. We listen to criticism and critiques. We're trying to improve, even though Mark and I go on 20-minute tangents fairly regularly. No one's complained yet. First time they do. I'm going to have to you know, get serious about that. All right. So do all of that. Thank you all so very much for listening. You can probably skip Terminator Genesis. It'll be on Netflix in a year and a half, probably less. No, we'll find it there. Right now. Go see it right now. Mark, go see it in IMAX. Do not listen to Mark about this. It is <laughs> probably not worth your money. All right, everyone. Until then, until next time, for Mark Radlitz, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>